This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, do you know how to make a website? I need somebody to make a website for me really fast. I've ever done it, but it took a long time and it wasn't great. Okay, so I probably shouldn't talk to you. I should probably talk to the people at Squarespace who are sponsoring this episode of our podcast. Uh, Squarespace is a website that helps you build websites. Um, You can sell stuff. You can market stuff. You can, I don't know, you can do whatever you want. It's your website. I'm not your dad. (laughs) Unless you're Henry. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. Uh, You start with the design template and use drag and drop tools to make it your own. Uh, You can customize the look and feel, settings, products, and more with just a few clicks. They've got 24-7 award-winning customer support, nothing to patch or upgrade ever, and you get a domain and you get analytics so you can see who's coming to look at your cool website about whatever your website's about. So if you want to make a website, head to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash OVERDUE. Squarespace. Website time. Overdue is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And it's been about 300 episodes since we talked about Jules Verne, so we figured we'd do it again. Hey, Jules Verne. How are you? I'm good. Hey, Jules. <laughs> Don't get so verned. Um, <laughs> welcome to our book podcast where each week one of us reads a book, tells the other person about it. Uh, we have not read the book before, usually, and we'll give you some context on where it came from, and maybe later you could, you know, go to a party when parties are okay to go to, and you could tell your friends that you know something about this book. Or you can just open your window and start yelling about the books. Oh, do it. And, yeah. like, film it and send us the video. <laughs> This is a new kind of podcast (laughs) where I'm yelling out my window. That's how they had to do it, actually. Yes, that's true. I mean, the Beatles did that, famously did that one podcast on the roof of of the studio. It was such a good podcast, they called the cops. It's true. Um, What book do you read, Andrew? I read Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne, like we said already. Oh, do you mean Voyage au Centre de la Terre? I do mean Voyage au Centre de la Terre. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We talked about Jules Verne on episode 149 back in December of 2015. Boy, gearing up to read the last Fifty Shades book too, huh? Yeah. (laughs) I I can't imagine that shaded our perception of that book at all. (laughs) Andrew uh, talked about Around the World in 80 Days for that episode, so we have some biographical information in there that we probably won't repeat in this episode, but I will say that uh, Jules Verne was born in 1828. He died in 1905. He is one of the most... Uh, translated novelists in the world. I think Agatha Christie still hasn't beat. He was a poet and playwright. He was a lawyer and stockbroker. He did a whole bunch of traveling, which we've talked about. 
Um, your, your tone of voice is like, I know we are. We just talked about this, but it was like five years ago. So you can. <laughs> well, see, funny. The way you can, you can be a little more expansive if you want to be. Well, let's saying. expand about the fact that he is one of the fathers of science fiction. He's a precursor mm-hmm. to H.G. Wells. He had this idea of writing Romain de la Science, novels of science. And his books were many of them were included in like a, you know, a series called Les Voyages Extraordinaire. And he would mix up like modern or contemporaneous science facts that he liked learning and researching. And he'd put them into adventure novels. You might, you know, we're talking about Around the World in 80 Days. You're talking about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, Many of his novels appeared in installments in a magazine by Pierre Jules Hetzel. Um, And... I went back and listened to, I was still very interested and still interested in my research today about a novel that Verne wrote called Paris in the 20th Century, which uh, predicted the 1960s and like the technology (laughs) in the 1960s with like cars and uh, fax machines and And mad mad men. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And Hetzel was like, yo, this book's too wild. You can't publish it yet. And then they never published it until the 1990s. Uh, So that's Well, then it probably doesn't look as impressive to have... (laughs) It's impressive what he called. The called shots. To have called the 1960s 100 years before. That's fair. So, listen, let me tell you what I like about Jules Verne. Let me tell you the thing I like. What I like about Jules. He really knows how to Verne. You are really going some weird places. Uh, I would Jules 500 Verns, and I would Jules 500 more. Uh, so this is the time when you when a book was just what it was called. Like this book is called Voyage au Centre de la Terre. Yeah. And that's what it, they do in the book is they just go to the center of the earth. <laughs> 20,000 sure. Leagues Under the Sea? Guess what that's about? It's about being that many leagues under the sea. Yeah, it's you not called book, like books. pressure. Yeah, like books today, like Infinite Jest. What does that mean? That what? doesn't I, That doesn't tell me anything about what the books book is. Books today, like Infinite Jest. <laughs> books today, like Infinite Jest and... Um, gone Girl, that girl's in the book. Gone she's gr- not gone. Yeah, Gone Girl, she's not gone. That's the whole point, actually, is that she's not gone. She's like gone temporarily, but she's not like gone, gone. So Journey to the Center of Earth, you know what you're going to get. You read the book and it's about, and it is not even that much about the center of the earth because they don't even get there. It is about the journey that they embark upon (laughs) to try to get to the center of the earth. Okay. I dig it. So I just like a book that kind of tells you what it's about. Yes. And so now when like any authors, budding authors out there, like when you go to write your book, even if you've got like B and C plots and there's a lot of like complicated like time jumps and stuff, like please consider like if you can't sum the whole thing up in your title, I don't know. You're just making me work too hard. You know what? Oh, some good uh carry this into TV production. I'm I'm thinking now the television shows 24, 24 hours, and prison yeah. break. They broke mm-hmm. out of a prison. They did. Well, did, did they, they? though? Because that show ran for a long time. I never watched it. Good point. Um, the book, Journey to the Center of the Earth, or Jitakote, uh, to those in the know, I just that's just, you know. 1864 is when it was first published in France. Uh, it was reissued 1867 because it was a big success. 
uh, an unknown translation in 1871 into English, which is apparently very bad. There were some other yeah, English... He, like, added chapter titles yes. and did a bunch of stuff. Um, 1876, 1877, an English version called A Journey into the Interior of the Earth, which is a little different. Um, there were others throughout the 20th century and some newer editions in the 90s and the 2000 aughts. It has been yeah, made... Yeah, so the translation yep. that I oh, read, yeah. what I did read, you the, read like the Dover ebook edition, and mm-hmm. so that was... Um, it was just the eighteen seventy six, like the original, the eighteen seventy six one published by, um, uh, who is it here? It is oh, so you George got... Rutledge and Sons. Wow, London, so you got some good Victorian English in this one. I did get some good Victorian English. Now my understanding is that this translation is in wide use because it is like, aside from the you know Victorian English element of it. It is like way more accurate than the other English translations that Great. were bouncing around at the time. Okay, and unlike newer translations, it does have the benefit of being in the public domain, <laughs> and you don't have to like pay anybody to do anything. Sure. With it. Okay. So my there there is like one in in 1991 that I think is one of the more um, faithful modern translations, but you just you don't you don't see the modern translations as much because you don't They're, have to pay. Yep. Uh huh. Uh, this story has been made into uh, other media a bajillion times, possibly because of that public domain that thing. Movie with the rock in it. Okay, Who's well in let, that movie? let's go through it now. If you want a really comprehensive read about adaptations of the Journey to the Center of the Earth, you can head to the North American Jules Verne Society's webpage, which is najvs.org. And Brian Tabbs rolls has, off the tongue. It yes, does. Brian Tabbs has written a comprehensive dissertation about every film adaptation of this book. And guess what? He loves the 2008 version starring Brendan Fraser. He thinks that movie <laughs> slaps. Is that who's in that? Yes. Yeah, so there Is was a the sequel. It's not The Rock. What, okay, what if, was The Rock in? Rock was in Jumanji. No. Well, wait a second. If you okay. go to the homepage for the Jules Verne Society of North America, you'll see a paragraph that reads, If you have seen the movie adaptation of Journey to the Center of the Earth 3D starring Brendan Fraser, or its sequel Journey to the Mysterious Island 3D starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That's the, what I'm thinking. The North about. American okay. Jules Verne Society naturally recommends you try reading the books that inspired them. Hey kids, do you like Brendan Fraser? <laughs> Let me tell you about this guy named Jules Verne. I'm sure I could have done a whole bunch of other research on this book, but I really spent a long time on this particular article. Um, there was a 1959 James Mason film that people, uh, that's probably where a lot of folks first saw this story. There's a whole bunch of cartoons in the 60s. There was like a Saturday morning style cartoon, Andrew. This is what the the Jules Verne guy has to say. Each episode consists of repetitious incidents relating the momentary menace of a monster or some other peril like a man-headed spider. The escapes are no more probable than the danger, such as fleeing a volcanic eruption by riding a wave of lava surfboard style. That sounds sick as hell. I don't know why this guy's upset. That also kind of is how the book ends. So I don't know what he's upset about. Yes. Okay. And that's good. also kind of how the book goes is they just kind of stumble from calamity to calamity until the earth vomits them back out upon its surface at the end. I which love are, it. I guess spoilers for Journey of the Center of the Earth. Um, there's a Wishbone episode from 1995 called Hot Diggity Dog. Um, <laughs> 
And what does that have to do with anything? That was just a, the dog pun they could think of. Yeah, there was a volcano involved or something. Um, Hot diggity dog. And the, apparently the innovation of the 2008 film is that it worked. Had Brendan Fraser in it. Well, yes. And in the fiction of that film, the novel is extant. Like the novel exists and the hook of the of the adventure is like, yo, what if this novel was actually like real? Like what if it's a guidebook to some real stuff? Like what if we stole the, the Declaration of Independence because it had a map on it kind of thing? That also is kind of how the book starts where they find this old book and they find this note from this guy, Arn Sack Newsom, who's like, hey, dudes, I went to the center of the earth. If you want to do it, go this mountain in July and climb down inside. <laughs> uh, OK, well, should we take a quick break, Andrew? You can tell me a little bit about the book. I have some other research, but I don't want to get in too deep into that, into that, into the center of that um, mm-hmm. until I find out what this book's about. Mm hmm. Okay, yes. Great. Let's Thank go. you for agreeing to the break. You can't, we can't go until you agree. And it's got a, yes, consensual break. Great. Andrew, can I tell you about our other sponsor this week? You'd better help me learn about this sponsor. Happy to. Overdue is also brought to you this week by our sponsor, BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so that anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with them in a safe, private, online environment in under 48 hours, and you can send a message to your counselor at any time. The service is available for clients worldwide, and licensed professional counselors have a broad range of expertise. As a listener, uh, folks will get 10% off your first month by visiting uh, our sponsor at betterhelp.com overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, better com slash overdue. All right, Andrew. I, All right, Greg. I respectfully request that you take me on a journey, and I really hope it goes to the center of the earth. It's going to go close. It's okay. going to go close. <laughs> So we've got this German professor, Otto Leidenbrock. Okay. And he seems like a real piece of work. Oh, oh, I see. (laughs) But he and his nephew, Axel, are hanging out. Axel. And talking about rocks and stuff. And (laughs) and Leidenbrock has found this old book, Mm. like an old Icelandic book. And he finds in it the note that I told you about that's like... Hey, my name's Arnsack Newsom. I went to the center of the earth. You can do it too. Ooh. Um, and Otto Leidenbrock is like, wow, we have to do this. And Axel is like, wow, I could not want to do this anything any less than I do right now because <laughs> I got my like sort of, they're sort of engaged to be engaged him and Grauben, Grauben, Grauben. Sure. He's got a he's got a love. Yeah, G R A with an umlaut U B N. Yeah, okay. Groben. Groben. Uh and he just and he doesn't want to go down into the Stygian darkness to just to satisfy <laughs> his scientific curiosity, which is not as strong as his his uncles. His uncles. Sure. 
And so I always got to like, it does always seem like it's your, it's your uncle in these old timey books. Doesn't it? Doesn't it though? Doesn't it? Like where's, where's, where's everybody's parents? So interesting. No, apparently uh, it, for the Brendan Fraser film, they were going to make it a father and son relationship, but apparently Brendan Fraser is a big fan of this book and was like, no, you have to keep it uncle and nephew. It yeah, has no, to be. you gotta have a you gotta have a Ducktales thing going on because there needs to be like a like a get like a getting to know you. Mm. So not even getting to know you, but like to make the couple of emotional beats that happen work. They can't be. I don't know. It doesn't work as well if they have like known each other and been. Yeah, that makes sense. Like and a father and son. Yeah, it's like someone be. that you because they're family, like. There's some sort of bond that you're supposed to honor, but it might not feel earned in the moment with an yeah. uncle. Yeah, okay. I mean, sure. on that note, where where are Huey Dewey and Louie's parents? It's not Donald. Mm. He's their uncle, too. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Where are all the Ducks' uh, parents? <laughs> <laughs> so they, so uh, Professor Leidenbrock... Gets starts pulling everything together. He starts getting supplies. Like they're gonna leave right now because there's only one boat that goes from Germany to Iceland, and that will get them there in time. And it leaves in like a couple of days, so they just have to go, even though it's May. And Axel's like, "It's May," and this note says that we need to be there in July. Why do we have to leave right now? And apparently they do. Okay. So they go. Like so, the thing about this book is it, it is written from. Axel's perspective, um, like almost epistolary style. And in a few uh, instances, we are reading what is ostensibly like a, a journal that he was keeping during parts of the of the journey, but only only in a section where he like the the implication is that he doesn't trust his his brain to remember what happened because it was so like jarring and he doesn't like. He doesn't mm. properly recollect what went on. So okay, sure. Um, but it's it's sort of a travel log a little bit, and and then like maybe halfway in, you start getting little bits of foreshadowing, uh, where he's like, "Oh, but if I had only known what calamity <laughs> was going to befall me," and blah 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 blah. And so you always have the because of the way the book is written, you always kind of know they're gonna they're gonna be fine and get back out because otherwise, why would this book exist? Yes. Like why why would this journal of of these events exist if nobody was here to tell you the reader about them? Yeah. Um, that reminds me of the fact that I I was reading on like a mental floss article I think about Vern and um him being a fan of Robinson Crusoe and like that era of like the the early novel where it was like yeah this is a this is a journal of a dude who had to survive somewhere and you know that he survived because it's his journal <laughs> yeah that's the thing we we've talked about this before i don't remember the last time we really got into it but there's always this like vein of you know this really happened that's yes. that is flowing through these old adventure books i think this happened with the time machine a little bit yeah mhm mhm um robinson crusoe is another good which one which is probably because like for these science fiction or these scientific romances as they are called uh, by some there's like they're working in uh real things or they're extrapolating from current technology 
And so like lending it credence and like saying this could happen or this might have happened or, hey, here's the person who says it happened, like fits in with the fact that they're exploring contemporary science and, and what may or may not be true. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are big stretches of this that where it's not because I don't know what exactly the state of science was at the time, like the, mm. the line between what would have been like real current uh, scientific theory and what uh, Vern was kind of making up for his journey to the center of the earth book. <laughs> okay. The, the line blurs a little bit because there are passages that are like, th- this is just information about Iceland. Iceland is one of the largest islands in Europe. It is 14,000 miles in extent and has only a population of 60,000. The 2020 estimated population of Iceland is 364,134. <laughs> so okay. just to give you a little bit of uh, Reykjavik, the capital, has two streets in it <laughs> in this book. Okay. Um, yeah, geographers have divided it into four quarters, and we had crossed in a nearly diagonal direction, and it, it goes on like that. But there, there are big chunks of this where it's just like, here is what we think we know about the way that the Earth works. And there's this ongoing debate between them whether like the the center of the earth is actually like a molten core like whether there's heat at the center of the earth or or whether there is there is not so like our understanding of the center of the earth is that it's pretty hot down there yeah so this gets into two things that i have so i found a forbes article called the geology the geology of jules verne's journey to the center of the earth uh from maybe two more than two years old, it says. I don't doesn't have a date on it. Um, twenty nineteen, and that gets into this book by a guy named Louis Figuier from eighteen sixty four, uh, called La Terre Avant le Deluge: The Earth Before the or the World Before the Flood. Um, and it should be noted that Mister Figuier wrote some pretty racist science nonsense in another book of his. So, like, we don't need to learn much more about him, but apparently Vern was into this book about the Earth. Um, and so... <laughs> my, my favorite thing... So, the Wikipedia article for this this yes, book... Yes, and, we, and we're not mm. we're not mentioning any of the many, many citation-needed things that we couldn't find another source for because that's irresponsible misinformation and that's not what we traffic in here on Overdue Podcast about the books. But the... Uh, I I flagged this, this too. This section of the Wikipedia article where it talks about La Terre Avant Le Deluge, and I just want to mention real quick: this is a big episode for fans of French Craig because yep, you're uh-huh. really get you're really going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it says uh, Verne was personally acquainted with Figuier and a fellow member of Paris's circle of the scientific press. In an earlier draft of this Wikipedia article, and I'm quoting from the Wikipedia <laughs> article right now. Its author asserted that, to the contrary, Verne had been inspired by Charles Lyell's Geological Evidences of the Antiquity of Man, also published in 1863. This seems improbable. Verne could not read English, nor is Lyell cited in studies of the novel by Verne specialists. Whoa. Take it to to the talk page, boys. This is not how you do a Wikipedia article. I have been reading Wikipedia for over a decade, and I have never seen a Wikipedia article like mention wikipedia in yeah, this nope. way nope 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 uh, th- this is th- there is a whole other page for this stuff where you argue about <laughs> the accuracy of things like you don't let it 
And who even knows what the the previous version of this Wikipedia article could have been written in like 2008. Like, I don't even know how recently this beef happened. Hey, <laughs> it's, the, the Forbes article gets into the Figier book. I found uh, there's an online version of that book that I found. And so like the preface says the object of the of the world before the deluge is to trace the progressive steps by which the earth has reached its present state from that condition of chaos when it was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and to describe the various convulsions and transformations through which it has successfully passed. It talks about the Triassic period and the Jurassic period and the formic period like it has a, a an understanding of the world in the mid to late 19th century that is closer to what you and I know, Andrew, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty different from something that I found called hollow earth theory, um, which I discovered through a, a whole article on subterranean fiction. Um, so this was the theory that the earth didn't have a bunch of junk in it, that at best it had a bunch of different, like imagine it as like a matryoshka doll with like different, crusts inside but each crust had its own atmosphere yeah okay yes i i, I believe i've seen a, a picture of what the earth would look like in, in this scenario yes. it is kind of silly it's very silly apparently edmund haley of haley's comet wrote about this like he was into this theory um a guy named john cleve sims um who was he said i pledge my life in support of this truth and i'm ready to explore the hollow if the world will support and aid me in the undertaking so like the thing about this theory <laughs> is that if it's real just go just go like it's like if you jump up and down too hard on any given part of the surface of the earth it'll just like collapse and yeah. fall down to the next layer just get in there i don't yeah, I don't know what the like what what's your damage? Like what are you waiting for? Just go. Um, Just get, here's a shovel. Go. Tell me how it goes. Apparently, this was disproven in an experiment uh called the Shahalian experiment in 1774 actually in Scotland where they took a pendulum, let it hang so that it had like a you have a sense of like neutral gravity and then you put it near a big mountain which then exerts its own gravitational force on the pendulum and pulls it out of true. And by doing this, they were able to calculate the density of the earth. And none of these people had a calculator. I don't like, how are people so smart when they don't even have like a, a computer or like a TI 82? (laughs) Like, I don't, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It really is astounding that we like figured out, with whatever tools we had available at the time that if you put if you attach electricity to sand that you could make a calculator <laughs> it's really it's weird that we it's weird that we figured it out and then we use those calculators to invent ever more elaborate things it's pretty wild I guess, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's true. Uh, anyway, we so the Earth... to, we need to disprove the hollow chocolate Easter bunny <laughs> theory of how the Earth works. And it's so we got true. I got a pendulum. You know, we got time on our hands. I got a pendulum no, like, three and there's I no you know, figured TV. it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you just do it. You just do it. So like Nike said, just do it. Um, OK, so this is based on a version of the Earth that it does have stuff in it. And then you were talking about how it's like 
it seems based on science and is very science forward. It's like, here are the facts, ma'am. It, yes, it, it is very like that until you actually start going down to the center of the earth where <laughs> oh. everything is just kind of made up. Okay, cool. <laughs> so uh, so Axel and Leidenbrock, they go to Iceland. They are greeted with various levels of enthusiasm by the people there, including like the mayor of Reykjavik who receives them very warmly and then later won't talk to Leidenbrock anymore because of some undisclosed offense that he has done. Oh, dear. Leidenbrock is a, uh, he's a tough guy. He's a tough cookie. He's a tough guy to get along with because mm-hmm. he gets very obsessive about, you know, his minerals and his journeys <laughs> to the center of the earth and these kinds of things. <laughs> okay. But they hire an Icelandic like guide slash helper guy named Hans, mm-hmm. um, and they go to the. Uh, they're going to go to the crater of this volcano that Arn Saknusum told them about. Uh, the mountain is called uh, Snæfellsjökull. Yes, as my understanding of uh, of the pronunciation of it, because all these mountains in Iceland be named stuff like this. Yep. <laughs> um, I think my first encounter with an Icelandic volcano name was in like 2009 or 2010 when that one erupted and like grounded all yeah. those planes because mm-hmm. of all the ash and stuff. Yeah. Um, Snæfellsjökull. They are going to. Yeah, they're going to go to this volcano they're going to climb down into the crater of it and listen it hasn't erupted since like f- since like 1500 and something it's been a long time okay. so don't worry about it <laughs> it'll be fine they're going to go down and they are going to trust that this like two line note that they found from Arnsak Newsom is going to guide them down to the center of the earth so they climb down and the there are a lot of like just like painstaking descriptions of like here's how we like we have a rope and we need to rappel down and but how are we going to take the rope with us and then Hans d- devised this ingenious climbing method where he wraps he takes both ends of a rope and he wraps it around a rock and then you hold both ends on your way down and then you pull down one end when you get to the bottom and it comes hey that's down smart you. actually that's pretty smart yeah he's clever hans like that horse yeah yeah right, and sick. like i'm thinking about a similar passage in in the lord of the rings where they're trying to climb down into mordor remember yeah and they're like how are we going to bring the rope with us and then they just do a thing where they pull it, and it's like elf magic, I guess, that makes it. Do you remember that? Yeah, the magic that rope. That just makes it come down. It's like, no, Jules Verne cracked this like decades ago, Tolkien. Did come you, on. the way you started this little uh, this little passage here, though, it, it sounded like you found it a little dry. Is it is Not it even, like when that, when in the Martian book, when the guy's growing potatoes, like, is it that dry? It is not as pleased with itself which i which means i found it less grating than than the martian was love great potatoes it's it's not even that it's dry like it's it's always fun i had fun reading it like okay. i and you enjoy like beat to beat like here's the here are the problems being solved here's here's what's happening like it does get a little dry in parts but i was always entertained so okay, okay. yeah like i, I think a, a, a blow by blow retelling will sound a little dry but it sure. always feels like i mean you're not jules verne i understand it's okay no but it it, but it like as an adventure novel it captures the feeling of adventure and exploration in a way that i personally found satisfying great okay you know to each their own uh so they are climbing down they 
they have they have just like many misadventures. Like they get to a fork in the road and they take the wrong fork and they just walk along this passage until they almost run out of water and then they turn around and walk back and they like uh uncle Leinbrock saved one mouthful of water for axel when they got to the so when they got to the fork because he knew axel was going to be a whiny little baby and he was going to like fall down and say oh i can't go any further axel spends a lot of this trip whining mm. i don't know if i mentioned this i mean already, he is but... a nephew on a trip with his uncle <laughs> He's kind of, well. He's kind of the like in the back seat, going, "Hey, are we at the center of Earth yet? Hey, yes. are we at the center of the Earth yet?" <laughs> and he does like he does get excited at key points, sure that that make it exciting. Like he gets caught up in some stuff the same way that his uncle does, but where his uncle is is very uh, determined to be like, "We're gonna make it to the center of the Earth, and I don't care if I die and all you people die." It's <laughs> Like, I, this is what I'm here to do. Yeah. And Axel is like, hey, we are probably, we might die though. <laughs> we, like, I've got a, I've got a lady back home. We might die. Hmm. Uh, and then they, you know, they, they go down the other fork in the road. And because of the way that the rock on the, like, the wall is composed, they discover that they're going to go, they're, they're going the right way. They hear this like roaring through the walls and good old Hans who says barely anything who his, his speech is mostly like one word Icelandic or phrases that are translated for us by uh Leidenbrock or they're just close enough to the, the English that we know what he's saying. A mm. uh, good old taciturn, dependable Hans uh, nails a little hole in the, wall and lets all lets water out and so hey yay we have water and now we have a little stream that we've named after hans that we can just follow downward and we can drink whenever we want great it's gonna be a great time it's gonna be great uh so they go down there's an incident where axel gets lost in the dark because he's gone the wrong way down a tunnel and then they like through some like trick of acoustics they start being able to like Leidenbrock and Axel find each other and they can converse. And this section of the book has like big spaces in it where the the sound would be taking time to travel between the oh, two of them. Sick, yes. Which is kind of fun. Um so eventually they all they all end up back together and they're at the the shore of this gigantic underground like sea. Um, and the, there is like loom, there, there's some kind of illumination coming from the walls. Like the, the cavern is big enough that water vapor can like condense up high up in the quote sky to like form clouds. So it's kind of just like a weird underground. It, it, it is like what you're, what you're saying with the hollow theory is like this, this is a, its own surface of something that it has its own atmosphere and its own whatever. Huh. Okay. Yeah. It's like a big enough underground there's. So like in the Wikipedia article for subterranean fiction, there's a note about this book and they're like, we don't think that Jules Verne subscribed to hollow earth theory. Although there might be some elements in this book that are somewhat similar yeah, I mean, it, it's like I said, it's hard to know where Vern is s- sticking with the science and where he is kind of diverging off and doing his own thing. Like, there, there is no way that the book 
tells you like, hey, here's where we're going to start speculating, <laughs> gang. Well, no, it seems like very specifically the point is to make that line fuzzy so that mm-hmm. you as the reader are be like, oh, I just read about them digging up some bones in the news and learning things. This is kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah. And you also like they also just sometimes reference the Bible sometimes. Well, you know, like the, the word that comes up. In this book, over and over again, this translation of it anyway, that I learned for the first time was antediluvian, which means like before a flood. Yes, that's, yes, uh Mm uh-huh. Specifically referencing the biblical flood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think even if, I don't know, I don't don't purport to know what uh, uh, mm. fundamentalists who interpret the Bible literally mean because they are... Like they are interpreting like an English translation that happened 400 years ago. There, there are like all kinds of opportunities for uh, inaccuracies to <laughs> creep on in there. But I gotta say, I feel like the just the practical considerations of what it would mean to put two of every animal on a boat and then have those guys repop, and then to have all of them survive for 40 days, and then for them all to repopulate the earth after that. Just like, like, how do you feed them? Where does anybody go to the bathroom? What about genetic diversity? Like, it, it is a, it is a thing that does not seem like it could possibly literally be true, but it is referenced a few times in this book as though it is a thing that did happen at some point in human history. Yeah, I think that's why the that book by Figue, Figue. Uh, is called the world before the deluge like it is you sound like you're talking backwards <laughs> um it it is a it is referencing that and i think you know there's been a lot there's been scholarship on like multiple belief systems around the world reference some sort of big flood or reference some sort of big event like that and like what are people referencing when they do that is is like open for interpretation i'm sure that there's some scholarship that people are writing emails about to us right now um but interesting that they are still using that term and like wrestling with how you square science with the religious beliefs of either the characters or the author um which is interesting to me to think about and you don't really you don't really get into either in in this in this book okay you're kind of they're kind of just chasing the hive so so far andrew i have not heard much about anything that is like in theatrical 3d because the one movie was called journey to the center of the earth 3d Um, i mean we're gonna get there okay i would like to get to the part where there's like stuff you'd make a movie about yeah Please. Well, I mean, they're going to the center of the earth, Craig. Okay, sure. Try and preserve like a sense of wonder or something. <laughs> um, so they are they are on this giant underground sea, and they decide, okay, we're gonna cross it. And Uncle Leidenbrock, and he does this a few times where he just kind of assumes that something is true and doesn't really show his work, and then it turns out not to be true. And he just sits and silently is mad about it. I've never met <laughs> someone like, who does that ever. Never. He, he's like. This uh, this sea is probably only like a hundred miles wide, so let's get on this raft that Hans built, trusty old Hans, and let's just cross the sea and see where we go. And so they decide to do this, and they're on this boat for days and days and days and days, sailing hundreds and hundreds of miles. Oh my God! And they, you know, a few things happen. They catch a couple of 
fish that they identify as being sort of prehistoric. They they've a, a theme that keeps happening is that you know you you are running into plant life and other stuff that we know of on the surface, but only through like the fossil record. It's okay. it's not stuff that is a living part of the earth anymore. But down here, it's all alive. Like you got these old fish. You got a fight between a plesiosaur and an ichthyosaur. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting to hear about what that fight would have been like from the perspective of like a fly on the plesiosaur's head, which is what you're getting here. It's like, (laughs) we all just sat on this raft and we thought it was a bunch of animals, but it turns out just to be two really big animals and they were fighting like a hundred feet away from us. And we all just kind of sat quietly and hoped that they didn't decide to eat us later. I dig it. That's cool. I figured you would enjoy the part where the dinosaurs fought. Well, but I also dig the part that it sounds like it is not a, and then we had to run from the dinosaurs and then. No, there's not like running against a green screen from the dinosaurs to get down into the, like the valley on Skull Island. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, the Peter Jackson King Kong is a work of art. (laughs) Yeah. We're weird little, they should teach us a shot in film school. they're just observing things nature that yeah exist below the earth but not really like participating in or changing them or like getting mad at them so they they are on the sea for a while they get turned like they they get caught up in this weird like underground lightning storm thing that almost ruins them and then they finally get back to shore they discover uh-oh, we are back where we started. We did not actually cross the sea at all. We must have gotten halfway and like got bumped, turned around. Oh no. Yeah. Um so they despair for a little bit and then they go exploring. They see some woolly mammoths and they see some 12 foot tall like hu- they find well first they find like a human skeleton and then there's this whole weird passage where Uncle Lionbrock is talking as though he were presenting this in a museum. And talking about the, you know, the, the, cause there had apparently just been some kind of discovery at the time where they'd found an, uh, like a, an old human skeleton next to some like copper tools or something. Oh, and it, okay. It was like at the time, I guess, like the oldest thing that anybody found. And then they <laughs> go down to the center of the earth and they find this old thing. Okay. And then they find some living woolly mammoths and like a 12 foot tall guy. And in the movie, like they would have, you know, you, you can see it in your, in your mind's eye, right? Like they are looking at the scene and then one of them like kicks a rock and it makes a noise or they like fall and they catch the attention of these of the of this big guy and then they get like chased by a bunch of big guys and <laughs> yeah and in the book they just like see it and then they're like cool and then they go back to where Hans is working to repair the raft <laughs> yeah that to me that to me is like it the the blockbuster has not been invented yet um there's not a sense that like there's all- no place where you can go to rent Super Nintendo games. It's true, um, it's true, and you That's you'd have to, if you wanted to watch Weekend of Bernie's, you'd have to buy it. Um, mm-hmm. You couldn't just bring it home. You couldn't just bring it home for the weekend. Yeah, I would like a weekend with Weekend at Bernie's, please. No, no you, have, you to have, to have, have to have a own lifetime with Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> um, which is funny because Bernie's dead. Imagine wanting, like. The thing that you say 
back in the day when you bought a, a VHS tape or a DVD is I like this thing so much that I need to be able to see it literally anytime that I want to. <laughs> I'm true. trying to think of, of feeling that way about weekend at Bernie. Oh man. <laughs> well, and, that, and like feeling that way about weekend at Bernie's that like, I'm going to put this on my shelf so that other yeah, people so can see that it. I own it. My aunt and uncle mm. who passed away like a decade ago, um, had this just the biggest collection of of vhs tapes that i've ever seen like like think of our friend ben in college like his dvd collection yes but for like vhs tapes of like gremlins and porkies and stuff (laughs) like it was so it was so much that they had like a they had a filing system like they had numbered tapes and one family members wanted to Yes. borrow them you'd have to like sign them out and it totally makes sense because if you have like 1200 videotapes <laughs> and you're lending them out to friends and family like you're not, they're not charging you money but they do want their tapes back <laughs> i know they invested in those tapes <laughs> i hadn't thought about that in a long time oh, i love this because going into that room with the videotapes felt like going into a museum you know well and, back and then in- you'd pick and then you pick the second direct-to-video Aladdin sequel <laughs> off that wall, and then you go watch it. The Return of Jafar. No, not Return of Jafar. Oh, Aladdin, Prince of that. Thieves? Yes, yes, where Robin Williams came back. Yes. Um, and in that era, too, you like, you're not thinking about the fact that no one's going to watch VHSs after 1995. <laughs> no, you're not thinking. You're, you're thinking, this is how movies exist. Like, this is how we record video for later. Yeah. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> Man. I had not thought about that in a long time. But um, what we're getting to is the is the the thing you're remarking on is that in this book even yes it's an adventure story but the adventure is like can we get to the next safe part of our journey? It is not oh we're fighting a monster. Oh we you know we're like in some deep quest to rescue someone. Yeah, right? and th- there are like there are scary things like the, the the peaks and valleys of the book are like oh scary thing um and then like calmer sequence scary yeah. thing and then yeah. calmer sequence but the scary things are not things that are being mostly are not things that are being initiated by our heroes they are just like natural phenomena that are being observed and must be survived okay sure so when they are waiting for Hans to repair the raft to, to maybe try and cross the sea again, they find this rusty old dagger. And Leidenbrock is like, oh, man, this is like a 16th century dagger. And then they find uh, Arnsek. They had found a an inscription at the bottom of Snaefell's Yokut from Arnsek Newsom that uh, convinced Axel and like... Uncle Lionbrock was always convinced of the veracity of this note that they found in an old book, but that is what convinced Axel that, Hey, this, this must, there must be something to this. So I'm going to be cool to keep going. Um, so they find, uh, Sek Newsom's initials carved into the, into the rock, like where they find this dagger and, and they are heartened that they are on the right track. Um, because really like, 
Sagnusum left them astonishingly little. He didn't give them a map or anything. Yeah, they're just like down there and they're all there are a million passages and there's this whole sea. And like, how do you even know that you're and he didn't have the instrumentation he would even need to to know that he was definitely <laughs> at the center of the earth. Like you're kind of just winging it. So they uh, they look around and they find like what they assume must be the passage that he had taken down to the center of the earth. But at some point in the intervening, like 300 years, it's been blocked by some kind of rock. So they take the uh, explosives that they have and they decide, okay, we're going to, we can't, this is like solid granite. We can't like pickaxe our way through. So we're just going to blow it up and then we're going to go down to the center of the earth. So they blow it up. And they they get more than they bargain for because they blow it up so good that the water of this underground sea starts like rushing down the corridor. So they're just like flying faster than a train, they say, which <laughs> I guess I guess that's what you compare it to. Well, like yeah, the, sure. In 1864, uh-huh. <laughs> they're f- flying down this passage and then they start going up and like the water starts getting hot. And they realize, oh, hey, we must be, like, part of an eruption Ooh. Of, of something right now. And this is the only way we're, we're going to get out. Um, so they do get blasted out somewhere in Sicily. <laughs> okay. They've Surprise. traveled a long way from Iceland. And they, you know, the, the maid talked a lot before like nobody nobody's supposed to know about this journey to the center of the earth at home nobody Mm. was supposed to but the maid does talk and so everybody actually knows about the center of the earth and some of them believe them and some of them don't the fact that they came back leads more people not to believe them oh sure (laughs) but uncle leidenbrock does get to you know he does the museum circuit he talks about the things that he saw uh he is a like a famous man and axel is the nephew of a famous man he says oh man which is pretty which is pretty good (laughs) and he gets to marry groben and everybody lives kind of happily ever after okay so did they get to the center of the earth no so in in that way the book's title isn't is a lie accurate but if i was going to say like if i say i'm going to drive to des moines and then through no fault of my own i get like most of the way to des moines and then i get turned back around like i was still driving to des moines the whole time yeah yeah that i was driving so like journey to the center of the earth yeah this this is about the journey that they are taking to the center of the earth they don't get there but it's still that's still what the book is about is about the journey to the center of the earth. This is good. We don't often judge a book literally by the cover and the title that's on the cover. But I'm glad that we're really getting into it here. I I feel like in this in this era where the cover was meant to more like holistically <laughs> reflect the contents of the book. Sure. Um I mean the only books now that you get that are like that are sort of kids books where it's like, oh, hey, Nancy Drew and the, the like the old, the old crappy lighthouse ghost, and yeah. that's what the book is about. But I mean, those books been around a long time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I, one question I have is: so Vern is with like twenty thousand leagues, and then I guess that spills into a little bit of H. G. Wells' time machine stuff. But like, Vern is the one who gets credited with like 
laying the ground for steampunk stuff. Like, there's no steampunk in this book, right? There's a lot of steam. Okay, jeez. In the hot parts of the volcano. No, and they're stuff. not. They're not like riding a like a, a a hot air balloon like made out of gears and zippers and stuff. Like, no. Sure. <laughs> well, and ac- actually, like I read a couple articles that talk about that talk with reverence about this book not feeling as dated as some other sci-fi from this era or you know not even that these books were being called sci-fi at the time but that because it's just like hey we went underground and found some old dinosaurs and stuff like it's not making um potentially outdated technological extrapolations like it's not well, doing that thing it's not doing that thing and, and to like take around the world in 80 days as a, as another example like nobody like the the old technology is not calling as much attention to itself yeah. like they they are underground and they but they're using tools like a compass and like a barometer and stuff that we would still be probably using in in some form mm-hmm. if we were to do this kind of adventure now i mean it obviously it all be hooked into some computer that was like logging everything and and could uh, program out like multiple uh, simulations and stuff that would give them more information. But I mean, I'd be Twitch there's, streaming there's if no I was stu- underground. You kidding? I'd be live streaming that. Be on TikTok. <laughs> but there's no stuff where like, oh, I I will I will I will rent a dirigible and yes. I will fly to East India and I will. Blah, blah, blah. Well, because that's like, the other thing. The, the old technology is not calling that much yes. attention to itself that that's what people seem to praise about this book going back to it now um but that's the other thing you see with some of the like underground fiction in general is like either oh like fiction nobody knows about n- no fiction about things that no one knows about because it's under the earth oh like literally underground yeah yeah not talking about like the good stuff yeah <laughs> you know that underground fiction. that underground fiction um talking about stuff like uh, you go down there and like, oh, there's some aliens with robots and stuff. Or like, oh, you go down there and actually it's a bunch of like sentient dinosaurs who have their own civilization. It's like a, the mole people or something. Yeah, some, like a mole people thing. Crap, yeah. And like that, a lot of that stuff actually comes after this book. Um, and there's and then like you have kind of wells and, and burrows and stuff kind of taking up the mantle of this type of sci-fi adventure. Um, I also saw somebody saying this was part of the time travel genre, sort of sideways, like by supposing yeah. by supposing that what if all this old stuff was just still alive somewhere else? Well, so you're not actually traveling through time, but you do find prehistoric creatures because you go to a different place where prehistoric creatures still are. Listen, Andrew, if you've ever watched, and I say this with a lot of love, if you've ever watched mm-hmm. any like pbs show about archaeology that is geared towards getting kids interested in science someone will say that this is basically time travel to dig up the earth and find out like see the the evidence of the way the world was is a form of time travel is it as cool as what bill and ted do no No. but (laughs) it's not it's a spectrum. The spectrum. I could look at like a old knife. Yeah, I sick. could see like somebody's cool old teeth. That's like time travel. <laughs> yeah, I found teeth in the ground once. That was time travel. Here's a mosquito that was stupid enough to get buried in amber. 
Time travel. Wow, time travel. The history history's coming alive. Oh my god, you'd be so insufferable if you walked onto a dig site and you're like, check out all these time travelers. Hey everybody. Wow, cool. Yeah, cool old pot, Derek. <laughs> wow, look at the time traveler over here. It's like quantum leap over here. This guy's Boy, digging up copper an age? Man, I'm, I feel like I'm going back in time. <laughs> I don't like this character that we've created. Somebody fire up the DeLorean for this guy. This poor man has devoted his entire life to studying arrowheads, and we're like, ugh. <laughs> oh, yeah, time cool rocks, Cool, sharp rocks, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Look, check out Doc Watson over here with his sharp rocks. <laughs> Why don't you sell them well, to some Iranians? I don't know what this is, but it is the end of our. It podcast. is the. I'm glad that you had a fun time with the book, and I'm glad that we had a fun time making an episode about it. Yeah, and I'm glad that the yeah. earth's not hollow. That would be really disconcerting. You don't know. Me. You haven't been down there. All right, I will devote my life uh, in support of this truth, and I am ready to explore the hollow. That's how. I mean, that's how a lot of modern knowledge works on the internet. Is like I don't personally know this, so it must not be true. Yeah, I'm not going to get into where I saw the phrase hollow earth quote tweeted in or quoted in my Google search results. I ignored those websites. Anyway, okay. I'm sure like like Elon Musk or somebody's out there being like, hey, I got my big drill and I think the earth's hollow. <laughs> Here we go. Anybody who's no one who says, hey, I got my big drill should be allowed in society. Hey, Libs, you can't stop me from proving the Earth's hollow. I'm Elon Musk. God. Send us an email uh, about what you think is inside the Earth. Don't send, If you send us an email about Elon Musk, I will no, don't block do that. you, report a spam. Goodbye. We've talked about hollow Earth theory. You tell us about your cool what's inside the Earth theory. Send us an email at overdupod at gmo.com. Is it jelly? Who knows? Hit us up on Twitter. I think Twitter. it's this whatever... Sludgy sugar stuff is in a cabaret cream egg is down there. Okay. Prove Andrew yeah. wrong. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook.com slash overdue pot. Um, what if it's uh queso? What if it's just queso? Ooh. Delicious and dangerous. Ooh, fondue down there. Mm. Uh thanks to Moritz uh Rister, Ronnie, Becca, Shannon. Rose, Ingrid, Tina, Wendy, Lucky, Megan, and many more for reaching out to us on social media this past week. Thanks to Nick Lorandis, who composed our theme song. If you haven't yet, go back and double-check your feeds and listen to our bonus episode for February. We did a Q&A episode with our Patreon supporters. It was a blast. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? OverduePodcast.com is our internet website up there. We have links to Apple and Google in our RSS feed. We're also on Stitcher and on Spotify. Do rate and review us in uh, Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. That makes us feel good, and it lets people know that you like the show. I don't know if it actually does help people find it. I don't know if that's how their algorithm works, but I don't know. We can pretend it does. We've all been telling each other that for years. It might as well be true. Nobody knows how it works, but this is how we think it works, which is how Jules Verne books work, <laughs> basically. Uh, we also have a Patreon project, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Get bonus episodes like our Jagged Little Mill series where we read Don Quixote a few chapters at a time uh, early. 
your first the people but we never put anything up there that the rest of you will not eventually get to listen to so look for the first episode of jagged little mill to hit the main feed later this month we've also got the rest of our march schedule up there go and check it out yep anything else what are you reading for next week the crossover by kwame alexander it's march madness baby hoops let's go yeah hoops dinosaurs hoops this this month's got it all (laughs) pale horses get us out of here all kinds of stuff all right everybody thank you for listening until we talk to you next time try to be happy was a headgum podcast paying the boku bucks boku bucks yeah it's boku bucks it's boku bucks it's not it's absolutely not boku bucks it's boku bucks that's incorrect the the word is french and it's pronounced boku well it is pronounced colloquially boku bucks heard it as buku bucks <laughs> it's pronounced buku bucks <laughs> now i don't know how to okay now my... i am also seeing buku bucks and i'm seeing someone else upset that i thought it was boku bucks when everyone else said buku bucks oh my god okay no, we're both does. right we're both right you're right about its root, and I'm right about its Americanized slangy pronunciation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm I'm just also seeing a this, bunch I'm of. I'm glad the, the tape is rolling this whole time. I'm just seeing a bunch of spellings of Buku Bucks. That's like <laughs> none of it is the same. The best, yeah. I found B O O K O O. It I, seems to be the best Googleable. I have seen B U K U. I have seen B O O C O O. I went for B O O K U. It was a little oh. esoteric. Yeah. Ooh, boo Q bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard boo bucks. Are you? Sh- <laughs> That's the only way I've. Heard I've it. only ever heard it as boku bucks. Boku. Who's going around saying boku bucks? I don't know. Is-